that's the first time that's happened. When I got up to preach and a guy says, hey, I'm going to pray for you right now. I got to get the tears out of my eyes. Thank you. While I, while I do that, um, I'm just going to ask you to turn to uh, John chapter 15. <clears throat> John chapter 15, and while you're doing that, you know, it was, it was interesting this morning, uh, Pastor John um, started into the Beatitudes. I, I always thought that Beatitudes were about your attitudes. These were the B-attitudes, like be this attitude. Um, so apparently that's not the case. Apparently Beatitude is comes from Latin meaning blessing and anyway so he got into his introduction and I I'm calling a bit of an audible here I couldn't believe it he 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 started off saying you know the beatitudes are the eight blessings for citizens of the kingdom of God um and and then he asked are these eight things that you want to see in yourself being poor in spirit you're blessed being one who mourns you're blessed being uh, meek, you're blessed. Uh, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're blessed. The merciful are blessed. The pure in heart are blessed. The peacemakers are blessed. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are blessed. And I thought, wow, God speaks. I mean, duh, he speaks. That's his word. But he was speaking to me because I was really wrestling with my opening introduction for tonight. So we're going to be in John 15, and I was going, ah, oh, man, what am I going to do with this? And uh, my introduction was actually coming from a senior contributor at Forbes who wrote an article based on results of a survey which asked, um, if you could say in one word what you want more of in your life, what would that be? And there were eight things. <laughs> I went, whoa, the power. Anyhow, so, so these are the eight things that uh, this contributor to Forbes uh, came up with in a survey that she produced. She's an author, speaker, uh, business consultant. It says, the number one thing that people are looking for is happiness. The problem is that searching for it outside yourself, i.e. Uh, in a job or a spouse or kids, a title, paycheck, uh, in a home, um, doesn't actually make you happy. Does that surprise anybody? I think it was Jim Carrey, the actor one time, who said, uh, I wish everybody could be really, really rich for a day so they could realize that riches do not make you happy. Anyway, so this is the one thing that, this is the top thing. The next thing was money, uh, but there's a problem there. How much do you really need to bring about, like how much money do you really need to bring about the experiences that will tru truly fulfill you? So obviously, if you need money to bring about experiences that will fulfill you truly, uh, it's, not, it's, it's not money you're actually after, it's experiences that you think will fulfill you. The third thing was freedom. The problem is, she says, it requires boldness and courage to make yourself your own highest authority. Yikes. Number four is peace. The problem is you just have to commit to being at peace in a world that's too chaotic to have it fall into your laps. Number five is joy. The problem is that joy comes from the process of becoming who you already are. We simply can't feel joy in our lives if the work we do pains us. We're not able to effectively separate who we are from what we do. And why would we want to? This is some bad advice. Six through eight are balance, fulfillment, and confidence. And I, I thought, you know, it's really, really interesting. That whole list really flies in the face of the list uh, of these Beatitudes that we saw this morning, don't they? So these eight things are presented as things we must hold fast to in order to live a fulfilled, meaningful, and fruitful life. Um, so I'm going to skip the whole rest of it. Um, uh, my introduction, and just ask you a question. So um, they, I, 
for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. They call me the uh, discipleship pastor. Um, is it okay if I talk about discipleship tonight? And is it okay if I treat you all as disciples? Because here's, here's the deal. If you've made a commitment to the Lord Jesus um, and he is first and foremost in your life and you are following him, uh, then you are a disciple. It's not, I'm saved and then I can just be Christian light. Um, and then if I really want to get into it, then I can become a disciple. And then if I really dig in, then I can actually be a discipler of disciples. That's not how it works. As soon as you're converted and God has regenerated your heart, you are a disciple. And the only thing that is in question is the quality of our discipleship. Amen? So I want to talk about discipleship. i got to skip a whole bunch of stuff. But the question is, what is your life about? Why have you been given life in the first place? Have you thought about that? This speaks to purpose. Why have you been given your talents and abilities? I know a lot of you, and I know that a lot of you are very talented uh, with, with a lot of amazing abilities that um, when I'm not as good a disciple, I actually envy. Um, why have you been given your wealth and your opportunities? Why have you even been given your trials and your weaknesses? What, what is the point? Do you know that you're actually in ministry? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're actually in ministry. You don't have to go work at a church to be in ministry. You're automatically in ministry. As soon as you're a disciple, you're in ministry. So, but your life is your ministry. That's where you work out your ministry. So if, uh, if, if you're male or female, child, adult, married, single, kids, no kids, particularly outgoing or particularly not outgoing, um, if you're in school, you're working a job you love or a job you hate. If you're looking for a job, if you are unemployed because you're retired and you gave up the job, if you're wealthy or not so wealthy, talented, not so talented, healthy and mobile, or, and hear me on this, even if you're unhealthy and confined to a wheelchair or a hospital bed, God has made you and me exactly as he intended, and he's placed us exactly where he's placed us for the intended ministry that he has for each one of us. And here's the question. Do you want a fruitful ministry? You can say amen to that. Amen. Do you want a fruitful ministry? Do you want a fruitful life? I do. So, so I want to get into John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about what it is to be fruitful. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. Um, and I'll ask you all to stand. This is a practice that, that we've had here at Temple, uh, to stand in honor of God who has spoken these words and in honor of these words which have the ability to transform our lives. So John chapter 15. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Please be seated. The word of God from Jesus' own lips. So let's see what Jesus has to say. He's talking about fruitfulness, and let's see what he has to say. But I want to start actually in uh, verse 16. That's uh, highly unusual. Maybe it's the Hebrew in me. I'm going to start at the end and uh, read, read backwards. Um, you know Hebrew, you start from right to left? Or anyway. Um, what's that? 17 is the last one. Well, I'm going to start. Okay, technically, I'm going to start. Oh, yeah, there's always somebody in every crowd. <laughs> Love you, Don. Love you. Uh, so we're going to start at the penultimate verse. We're going to start in verse 16 because we're going to look at, like, what's the point? I asked, what is your life about, okay? And, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And uh, this speech actually starts at the beginning of, uh, of uh, chapter 13. It goes through 14, goes through 15, goes into 16, into 17. It's a really long one, okay? Um, uh, but here is kind of the pinnacle or the climax of this thing or the, the central point of this where he's talking about um, how to be fruitful. Um, so uh, in verse 16, Jesus says this to them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. So here's what life is about. If you're in Christ, here's what it's about, ready? Chosen and appointed to bear fruit. And not just bear fruit, but to bear fruit that lasts, to bear fruit that abides, okay? So if you're in Christ, you were chosen, you are appointed to go and bear fruit and to bear fruit that actually lasts, bear fruit that, that remains. That's the point. Now look at verse four. We'll go back to the beginning, not the exact beginning, but we'll go, <laughs> we'll go to verse four, okay? And look at verse four. It says, abide in me and I in you. And verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So this is the opera, to bear fruit, which means we need to abide in Jesus. Okay, here's the summary takeaway, and this will show up on the screen here. I must abide in Jesus. My whole life depends on him. Amen? I must abide in Jesus. Why? My whole life depends on him. Life here, existentially, life here in terms of fruit, everything that we do, Depends on him. Okay, so now I want to go back to the context here for a second. Um, so uh, Jesus starts to talk to his disciples. It's before Passover. He just washed their feet. That beautiful picture of, of, of serving 
that beautiful picture of love. And it says there in chapter 13 that uh, Jesus, when he knew he was going back to the Father, he loved them to the end. Okay, and he starts to wash their feet. Masters don't wash feet. Servants wash feet. Okay, and then Jesus gives them some, some commands, some instructions. Love one another as I have loved you. I just, I just, I serve. That's what I do. And you're to love one another that way. He gives them responsibility for witness and proof of discipleship. Uh, he says in chapter 13, by this people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. And he tells them he's leaving and they start asking questions. This, is, this has been their guy. He's their go-to. He's their teacher. He's their master. Um, and they start asking questions. Well, where are you going? Why can't we follow you now? How will we know the way? There's uncertainty and fear creeping in there. Have you ever felt uncertainty and fear in your life? Before following Jesus? But not after following Jesus, right? <laughs> no, of course we feel uncertainty and fear because sometimes we're just like, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Where am I going? God, where are you leading me? How, how do I know what to do? How do I know the way? Jesus tells them not to be afraid. He gives them assurance of his ongoing presence in his spirit. Okay? And then, after they ask these questions in chapter 13, 14, he comes to this passage here. And I think, I think this, is, this is really where the disciples are right now. We're not sure what's going on. This is not working out the way we thought it was going to. You were supposed to overthrow the Roman Empire and give us back our nation. What is going on? Okay, so Jesus puts, puts things in terms of a metaphor to illustrate how his disciples are to be fruitful in the lives and ministries that God chose for them. Okay, so we can learn a lot from this because we can learn from this metaphor how we are supposed to live fruitfully as well. Okay, so now after all that preamble, let's look at verse one, the actual beginning of the passage that we're looking at. Okay, okay so here's verse one. Jesus says, I am the true vine. That's how he starts off. So automatically we know, hey, we're looking at a gardening metaphor, okay? Now what's interesting is all through the book of John, Jesus makes all these I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. And this is my favorite. I am, period. Before Abraham was, I am. So this is God speaking, okay? And then he goes and he says, I am the true vine, now, why would he say the true vine? Israel is often associated with this vine metaphor where Israel's the vine, but often that had to do with judgment. So it's a vine that's disobedient. It's a vine that's dead, and it's a vine that's about to um, be judged and undergo some sort of destruction. So Jesus comes along and says, I am the true vine. What Israel was supposed to be and, and, and wasn't able to do through disobedience, I am. Perfectly sinless, exactly, uh, uh, perfectly following God, perfectly in touch with God and his desires, perfectly obedient. I am the true vine. So Jesus is the true vine, not Israel. Jesus is the only way for us to enter into the kind of relationship with God that we were designed for, but that we lost in the fall in the Garden of Eden, okay? And that we lose when each one of us, because of the sin that's within us, follows the lusts of the eyes, flesh, and the boastful pride of life, and we, and we turn away from God and we say, no, I will be on the throne of my own life. But Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the, is the vine dresser. 
Now, verse 2 talks about what the vine dresser actually does. Uh, it was interesting, actually. Yesterday, I decided to embark on a project in my backyard, and uh, there was a whole bunch of br uh, bushes growing along the back fence, and we have some little vegetables, and I thought I would go and be a good uh, gardener and clear some space, and so I started cutting down all these bushes. Well, I didn't realize, and there were a bunch of trees that needed to come off the maple in the back. I love tree cutting. It's lots of fun. Um, and uh, No, seriously, I do. I really do like it. And... Uh, um, Anyway, but I got into these bushes that were growing along the fence, and then I realized all of a sudden um, uh, what was making it really, really thick was grapes, wild grapes. I was like, whoa, because I knew I was going to be <laughs> working in this passage. So that was number two that actually happened first. Anyway, so, so, so I started, thinking about, I started thinking about this metaphor, and I, start, I found that I was actually becoming a vine dresser, kind of by necessity. You know what vine dressers do? We can, uh, we can show this on the slide here, the next slide. They take their pruning shears, and they prune the vine. They take care of the vine. You know what I was doing to a lot of the vine? It wasn't pruning. <laughs> I was getting rid of it, okay? And then I stopped because I went, hey, Maybe God wants me to grow grapes. So now I have a few little pieces of the vine growing along the fence, and I kind of wove it in there, and we'll see what happens. Uh, but um, there, were some, there were some branches that needed to go. So here, verse 2, here's what the vine dresser does. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And you know how, you know how I knew which branches to cut off? This text. I looked for the little... The little grapes that were about to start, I'm like, nope, cut that one off, tossed it. I was like, man, this is amazing. Very practical. God's word is very practical. <laughs> Verse two again, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So I went, what's pruning all about? So I was like, well, I think it has enough leaves. I'll take some of these leaves that are just kind of like leafy stems that are growing out of there that it probably doesn't need, and, and it's diverting energy away from the fruit-bearing pieces, okay? So at this point, though, I think the disciples, okay, so every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So I think at this point, the disciples are thinking, oh, man, like this just gets better and better, doesn't it? Okay, so you're leaving. You've given us a bunch of instructions. We have no idea how to follow. And now you're telling us that every branch in you that does not bear fruit, God's going to cut off. Great. What is fruit exactly? What if we're about to be cut off? I don't want to be cut off. Have you guys ever had thoughts like that? I remember during a particularly dry stretch in my own life, I thought, man, am I even saved? Am I even a Christian? Am I going to be cut off because I'm not bearing fruit? So Jesus anticipates this concern. Look at verse 3. Jesus says this, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So I think this is a bit of a parenthesis. Jesus is saying, hey, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. Um, but there was a concern actually in chapter 3. So remember, Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. Or chapter 13, Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, no, you're not. Do you know, the funny thing about Peter, by the way, I really identify with Peter. The funny thing about Peter is every time Jesus turns around, Peter's going, no, Lord. No, Lord. It'll not be like that. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to die. No, you're not. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. 
Now here we have again, hey, I'm going to wash your feet. No, you're not. You will never wash my feet. That's what Peter said. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And you know what's true? If God, if Jesus does not wash us in the blood that he shed to pay for our sin, we have no share with him. We have no share of his inheritance. We have no share of himself or his spirit. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Then Peter all of a sudden goes, right? Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. No, you're not. Well, if I don't wash you, you have no... Oh, wash everything then. I, I imagine Jesus just like, Peter, dude. I'm going to wash your feet. It's all I'm going to wash. Stop telling me what to do. But Jesus, that would be me. But Jesus is way more gracious than I am. Um, Jesus says, so Peter says, hey, wash everything, head, hands, you know, whatever. Jesus says, the one who is bathed doesn't need to be washed again. He's clean already. Just his feet, okay? And then he says, you are already clean, but not every one of you. So Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I think this is a reassurance based on where they're at. Um, and he says, you're clean because of the word spoken to you. They'd been washed in the word that Jesus taught them. They believed Jesus who he said he is and received that word. Okay, and guess what? That's how we're washed as well. We're washed in the blood of Jesus, okay, according to his word. If you're a disciple in, of the Lord, if you're a disciple of Jesus tonight and you're not in his word, that's a bad sign. We'll get there, though. I jumped the gun. At this point, Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, you know what? Don't worry about being cut off. You're clean. But then he adds to this and tells them how to be sure that they bear fruit and avoid being cut off. Because you see that? Okay, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So if you're not bearing fruit, uh-oh. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it would bear more fruit. Okay, awesome. So then Jesus says, this is how, this is how Jesus says, um, Jesus communicating to us now how we can, how we make sure that we bear fruit, okay? And we don't have a fruitless existence. Okay, so verse four and verse five. Jesus says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's, here's point number one. I don't think these are numbered, but here's, po here's point number one. I had my summary point. Here's point number one. I must abide in Jesus. My fruitfulness depends on him. Okay, the key to bearing fruit is abiding in Jesus. He's the true vine. Okay, now abiding. I want to talk about abiding for a minute. Um, abiding is a weird word. Do you guys ever use that in like regular speech? No. Um, so abiding really means remaining in or holding fast to, okay? Kinda. It's more than that, though, okay? Um, there's two directions with this whole abiding thing, which is one of the reasons I think Jesus uses this metaphor. Um, so you can be structurally attached, okay? But a dead branch can also be structurally attached, okay? So if we're at church, if we're going through the motions, but there's no vitality in us. God's not stirring up our affections for him. There's no life. We're not being transformed. It's possible that we're structurally attached, 
in some way, some form or fashion, but we don't have the life sap of Jesus, which is the vine coming into us, okay? So we can be, we can be a branch that's around everything, but unless we are, um, unless the vascularity of the, the branch is actually opened up to get the, the sap from the vine, we're actually not alive, okay? And those are the branches that don't bear fruit because they're dead branches. And those are the branches that cut, get cut off. So, so this, this abiding in piece and Jesus says it, you can see that right in verse four, abide in me and I in you, okay? So there's a disposition for ourselves that, that, that remains in Jesus, that holds fast to Jesus, that houses, where we house ourselves in Jesus, okay? That's actually closer to this word abide, okay? Make a dwelling, okay? So we need to make our dwelling in Jesus, um, here's a really good picture, and this bears out in, uh, uh, in, in other places in the New Testament, Hebrews, I think. Um, you know how the ark um, carried Noah and his family through the waters of judgment? Okay, well, when we're housed in Jesus, he carries us through the waters of judgment in the same way, okay? So being in Jesus is this idea of abiding in Jesus, remaining in, holding fast to um, but being alive to him, being alive to him, which is, probably, which is probably akin to being grown by him, okay? So again, when we talk about the word, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that, if the word, if, if we're not devouring God's word, if we're not growing in our hunger for God's word, if we're, if we're and even if we're, we're taking it in, but we're not, actively looking to obey, find some way to apply it to our lives so that we are transformed to become more like Jesus, okay? We may be structurally attached, but do we have the vitality of the vine coming into us and transforming us and producing fruit in us? So a fruit-bearing branch that is pruned to bear more fruit is a branch that is abiding. If you want to be a fruit-bearing branch, we've got to abide, Okay, we'll talk a little bit more about what that actually means. A non-fruit-bearing branch that is taken away, that's the branch that is not abiding. It's a dead branch. And verse six says that it's thrown away, it withers, and it's burned. Okay, now, how do we abide? How do we abide? Let's look at verse seven. And these are gonna start to come uh, fast now. Okay, so look at verse seven. There's a clue here. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So verse four says, abide in me and I in you. Verse five says, whoever abides in me and I in him. And here it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Do you see that? A key piece of abiding in Jesus is actually having him abide in us in his word being alive and transformative in us. We cannot be a disciple and not be taking in and obeying Jesus' words. Can't do it. The power is in the hearing and in the doing what it says. So remember verse 3, what Jesus said to his disciples to reassure them. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. We're clean because of the word. God's word is living and it's active and it transforms us into Christ's image. Do you want that? Do you want more of that? I want more of that. I don't always want more of that. Can you relate? But I want to want more of that. 
Let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let's consider how to stir one another up to want more of that, want more transformation from God's word to make us more like Jesus that we bear fruit. Amen? Okay. And look what happens when we, when we hold fast to Jesus and get his words into us. Look at the text. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, this is crazy. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Whoa. Do you know what? I've tried that. It doesn't work. Have you guys tried that? Have you found it? Amen. Have you found that that doesn't work? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, we're going to talk about why that's the case right now. But here's point number two. I must abide in Jesus. My praying depends on him. Okay, it says, abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How many of you are in favor of looking at a text like this going, I'm not really, un- I'm not really sure I understand this. My experience doesn't seem to bear this out, but I'm going to take God's word for it rather than my own experience. How many are in your favor of that? Good. That's really good. Okay. So I must abide in Jesus. My praying depends on it. The key to our prayer life is actually to be alive to God in Jesus. Having his word in us actually draws our hearts into alignment with God's heart. And then we begin praying his thoughts and words and purposes after him and to him. Okay. So our wishes actually become fully aligned with him and then he delights to do what we ask. When our hearts are fully aligned with his heart, Ask whatever you wish, it'll be done. It'll be done for you. That's what the text says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Now, here's, some, here's, a, here's a caveat. So Psalm, Psalm 37, 4 says something that I, a lot of people love this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You guys like that verse? Okay, again, I don't know. That doesn't really work. Or at least it doesn't when I'm operating in the flesh. Right? So when, my des- when the desires of my heart are not aligned with God's desires, those desires are going to hurt me, and they're probably going to hurt other people around them, right? So delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Augustine said this one time, and I'll ask you this. Agree or disagree? Love God and do as you please. Agree or disagree? Disagree. Love God and do as you please. Why do you disagree? August- Augustine's right. If you love God, okay, what you please will be in alignment with God's heart. If you love God, if you love me, and we'll see this later, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So if you love God, if we love God, then our desires will be in alignment with his desires, if we really love him purely, okay? So delight yourself in the Lord. If we're really delighting ourselves in the Lord, okay, and drawing our hearts into alignment with him, and what he wants, because all of those, whatever he wants is, is pure and just and noble and of good report and all those things, okay? Then, then his desires become our desires, and then he's going to grant them. Why would he not? My desires are the same as his. He's doing it already anyway. We just get to participate in that, and we get to see these amazing things in that. Okay, so now James 4, 2, and 3. You don't have because you don't ask. And if you do ask, you ask wrongly to spend what you get on your passions. Okay, so these are, these, this presents, the Bible presents the reality. It understands that we're not always asking. We're saying, oh, Lord, I delight in you. Give me this woman that's not my wife. Lord, I delight in you. Like, this is amazing. Like, give me, give me the riches that'll send me right to hell. Right? 
when we're pursuing those things to spend them on our passions and our passion is not Jesus, that's when things don't happen. That's when prayers don't get answered. It doesn't make a liar out of these verses. Right? Anyway, I think you get the point. So delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Ask. Ask rightly with your heart in alignment with God's heart. And he loves to do those things. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. I must abide in Jesus because my praying depends on him. Abiding in Jesus enables the kinds of prayers that God loves to get behind. We'll touch on that at the end here. So now let's look at verse 8. It says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We know that we're put here to glorify God, right? Glorify God and enjoy him forever is what the Westminster Confession says. Okay? By this... By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So bearing fruit glorifies God, proving to be his disciples glorifies God, and bearing fruit only comes from abiding in Jesus, having his words transforming us into his likeness. Abiding in Jesus and bearing the fruit of that also proves us to be his disciples. If we aren't abiding in Jesus and we aren't bearing fruit, no matter how good we think we are, if we aren't bearing fruit, it's possible that we're not disciples of Jesus. And we need to take a hard look at that. Now, I do want to say this. There are seasons. When we plant seeds in soil, the fruit doesn't pop out of the ground. A shoot comes out of the ground, and then an ear comes out of the ground, and it matures, and it weathers the rain, and it weathers the heat of the summertime, and it grows, and then eventually when it's mature, it bears fruit. Okay? So, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year... Don't panic. Pursue God. Get into his word. Try to get our hearts into alignment with his heart. But a bad decade? Two, three decades of fruitlessness? Dead feeling, dead affection toward God and toward his word, toward his people? That's not a good sign. Proof of discipleship comes with abiding in Jesus and the fruit that comes from that. Um, an old Baptist minister said to me one time, there's, there's no assurance of the faith without adherence to the faith. We sometimes talk about assurance of the faith being in the prayer that we prayed when we were six years old, the sinner's prayer. But we can, we can pray that prayer and live a godless life bear no fruit, and be cold toward God. That's terrifying. It's terrifying. Earlier, in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus helps us to understand what this proof means, proof of discipleship, and also helps us understand what the fruit is that Jesus has in mind when he says, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is what it says. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So to obey Jesus, we have to be abiding in him and be transformed by his word. And the fruit that this bears is love for one another. 
We'll talk about love and fruit in a second. But it is by this fruit that the people around us will know that we are Jesus' disciples. Our witness to the world is at stake. If we're not abiding in Jesus, what witness do we actually think we'll have? And here's point number three. I must abide in Jesus. My witness depends on him. He's the source. He's the vine. He's the source of everything. It's easy to get caught up in the mission. Oh, we got to go and share our faith. We got to go and do all these different things. Let me ask you, what is, what is your most important mission as a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's actually not evangelism. It's you. My most important mission as a disciple of Jesus Christ is me. I got to abide in Jesus. Otherwise, everything I do will be as filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. You know how people often like to say things like, I don't go to church or I don't believe in your Jesus because of all the hypocrites in Christianity. Heard that before? That really bothers me, really bothers me. Um, Because I want to have grace for uh, myself when I'm a hypocrite. I want to have grace for all of us when we're hypocrites. And I want people to have grace for us as well because we're not... We're not perfect, we're growing. Amen? And sometime, one time I caught myself saying this, so you're done with hypocrisy. Yeah, I'm done with hypocrites. I'm just done with hypocrites. I'm not going to church because I'm done with all the hypocrites. Have you ever been a hypocrite? Oh, well, I guess so. When are you going to be done with yourself? Oh, and that's a great on-ramp to the gospel. When you get to a point where you're done with yourself and you can't handle the hypocrisy, Jesus is waiting there with open arms. I will clean you up. Come to me. You don't have to be a hypocrite. I'll pay for all that. But, back to the main point, what people are seeing is what they perceive to be a lack of love, a lack of uh, other character fruits that Christians are supposed to display. It's not always an accurate perception, but it's an important thing to discuss. We will never develop the character of Christ without being imparted with it as we abide in him. So we don't have a hope of not being hypocritical unless we're abiding in him. Our witness depends on that. Bearing the fruit of repentance proves us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I must abide because my witness depends on him. And here's point number four. I must abide in Jesus. My love depends on him. Look at verse 9. And we'll go quickly to to verse 12 there. So as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is weighty, and there's a warning here. And yes, I know I skipped verse 11. Hold on. (laughs) This is waiting. There's a warning here, okay? Jesus is admonishing his disciples here. Um, as he loved them, uh, that was how the Father loved him. So he admonishes them or warns them to remain in his love. That's scary. What do you mean remain in his love? Doesn't God love the world? Didn't God so love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him, oh, there it is, whoever should believe in him. Jesus is talking about bearing fruit Okay? He makes it clear, we remain within the scope of God's love by keeping his commandments. That's in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay? Now, this is a, a slightly different scope um, from the for God so loved the world. 
right? This is about operating within God's manifest and receivable love. It also shows us that obedience is actually a really big part of abiding and bearing fruit. Okay, the branches without fruit are cut off. Branches without fruit are cut off because they aren't abiding in Jesus. They're also not abiding in his love because they're not keeping his commandments. See that? Okay, it's not that the love's not there. They're choosing not to abide in it. So, and then verse 12 states Jesus' command very explicitly. This is my commandment that you love one another. Whoever abides in Jesus bears fruit. That fruit is love for one another as we've seen. In order for us to love one another, in order to bear that fruit, we must abide in Jesus. And now for the one who says, you know what? Christians don't have the corner on love. I don't love Jesus, but I love I love people, I love my neighbor, I love my kids. The commandment is actually to love as Jesus loved. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command. But here's the thing. Romans 5 tells us that Jesus didn't just die for his friends. Jesus died for his enemies. The call to love is very high. To love our enemies to the point where we would give up our lives, lay down our lives, is how Jesus loved. That's how we're called to love. Now, I sometimes have a hard time loving, and it's for petty little things. I need Jesus to give me the ability through the lifeblood of the vine to the branch to be able to love people that I don't want to love. Okay. So in order to love each other the way Jesus loves us and in order to continue operating within the warmth of Jesus' own love, we must abide in Jesus. That love depends on him. Look at verse 17. This is jumping back down to the end. But this, Jesus says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Abiding in Jesus is commanded, so we're able to love one another. And lastly, let's look at verse 11. This is wild, too. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All the things that Jesus has spoken to his disciples here are for their joy. Remember what the world's looking for? Happiness, peace, joy, all those things. Jesus says, I've commanded all of these things to you, for your joy, Jesus' own joy. How many of you believe that Jesus is a pretty joyful person? Okay, he runs stuff. Okay, he runs all of it. Right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Everything has been put in subjection under his feet. Okay, he is full of joy, I guarantee it. Okay, and he also speaks of his own joy, that my joy may be in you. That's a joy that is stable. That is a joy that lasts. That is not a joy that is hinged on circumstances. Okay? That is a supernatural, divine joy. And Jesus says, I, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you know we can have a full joy regardless of our circumstances? We can be in the most difficult time and have joy, a divine joy. And that's one of the fruits of abiding in Jesus. So I must abide in Jesus, and this is point number five, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on this. I must abide in Jesus because my joy depends on him. 
My joy depends on him. Now watch this, okay? So verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How joyful do you think it is to ask God whatever you wish and it happens? How joyful is that? Verses 14 and 15, you are my friends. There's joy. Friends with God, there's joy. If you do what I command, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Is that joy? Knowing what God has made known to Jesus, he's made known to us. Verse 16, you did not choose me. Oh, there's joy. I chose you. There's joy. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We all want to have, we all want to have meaning. We want, all want to have purpose. When we, when we realize that we're part of something much, much bigger and something that is already won, that's joy. We're already on the winning team, okay? But check this out. This blew my mind, okay? But I chose you and appointed you this is verse 16, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that, okay, so what's the point of fruit and the point of abiding fruit? So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The point of fruit, which leads me to what fruit is, we'll get there, okay? But the point of fruit is so that whatever we ask God, he will give us, he will do for us. That's the point of fruit. That's the point of proving to be a disciple of Jesus is that, we can go to the Father, ask him for things, and experience the amazing joy when he actually does crazy things and blows our mind. How many of you have ever asked for something and God has, gone, God has done something like just totally, bizarrely, outside and beyond everything that you could have asked or imagined? Because that's the God that we serve, Ephesians 3.20. How many of you ever experienced that? And the joy that comes when you get to share that staff meeting or the joy that comes when you get to share it with your friends or the joy that just comes when you're sitting there by yourself just laughing because you're, wow, God is actually real. Wow, God actually does stuff. Wow, joy. These things I command you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. In verse 16, verse 17, sorry, these things I command you so that you will love one another. When we're in relationship, loving relationship, oh, what joy there is. Amen? So I'm just gonna summarize here. This will come up on the slide. I must abide in Jesus. My whole life depends on him. My fruitfulness, there's no fruit without him. My praying, there's actually no prayer without him. My witness, there's no witness without him. My love, there's no love without him. My joy, there's no joy without him. Now, how do we abide? I'm gonna, I, I just wanna make this clear because it might not have been clear going through all that stuff. First of all, we gotta have his words in us. I wanna challenge and encourage and exhort each of us, myself included, to get into God's word with a fervor and an earnestness that we would hear it and obey it and be transformed by it. Number two, prayer. Ask and receive. The word draws us into alignment with him. Prayer draws us into alignment with his heart. That's number two. Three is fellowship. That's where we experience this love that is divine, that is a fruit of abiding in Jesus. And when we're in a family like this, we help to draw each other into alignment with God's heart. Amen? Oh, that we would be a church that does that more and more and more.
and now fruit. What is fruit? I think there's two species of fruit that Jesus is getting at here. One is a, is a fruit of effort. But I think the primary one he's talking about, just go to Galatians 5. We saw love as a fruit. We saw peace and joy as a fruit. Guess what the fruit of the Spirit is? The fruit of the Spirit of the living God in each one of us, making us more like Jesus? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Would God form those things in us as we abide in him? And this is discipleship, abiding in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, our Father, we're so thankful for you. Without you, we have nothing. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for you. Um, We're thankful for the word that you speak that transforms, that is living and active. We're thankful for this joy that you promise and love and peace as we abide in you. And God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you make us individuals that abide in you, in your word, in prayer, in fellowship. Holy Spirit, I ask that you produce the fruit, your fruit in us. Make us more like Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen.